Hello and welcome to My Biggest Lesson, the show that brings you the key learnings from the most influential founders, executives, and investors in the Colorado tech community. My name is Adam Burrows. And I'm Chris Erickson. Together, we are the co-founders of Range Ventures. An early stage venture firm based in Denver. You can find out more about what we're up to at range.vc. Our guest this week is Blakely Graham. Blakely is the co-founder and former CEO of TaskRay, the leading software product for managing the post-sale customer experience. Under Blakely's leadership, TaskRay grew from a bootstrap startup in her basement to a mission-critical application with marquee Fortune 500 clients. Salesforce even recognized her contributions to their ecosystem by awarding her the MVP Hall of Fame designation. Blakely and her co-founders successfully exited TaskRay through being acquired in 2021. Blakely, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. I would love to start out by just you telling the audience a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey with Taskray. Sure. The incredible story. <laughs> well, I guess it goes back to how I got to Taskray. I have a very, very background, a bit of a generalist. I call myself a mutt often. I've either been in or I've run marketing organizations, operations, product. I got my start at Starbucks as an efficiency analyst for their pick pack operation in the roasting plant. Probably my most formative years were here in Colorado. I worked for a dot com kind of through the rise and through the bust. So that was a big experience. But it was there that I discovered Salesforce. And so this is very early days Salesforce around 2002, 2003, and just fell in love with it. And sometime later, I got connected to Eric Wu, who is my co founder in Task Gray. And we had this shared set of values and some entrepreneurial dreams. And we got together and decided to start an app company. So not quite as simple as that. I mean, at the time in 2010, apps weren't really a thing in enterprise. It was more of a consumer play. But we started to see some signs. You know, Salesforce was out there. They were kind of paving the path for SaaS. They started investing some money in the platform, which we now know as AppExchange. And we saw that investment and we just decided to kind of jump on that bandwagon and really bet on this idea or notion that corporate enterprise IT was going to follow the footsteps of consumer web apps. And, you know, they deserved better experiences. They were looking for off-the-shelf applications, solving these really niche problems. And so that's how Taskray started. In fact, it wasn't even named Taskray, Adam, in the beginning. It was called Bracket Labs. Mm. Uh, and we really started with solving just different white space problems in the Salesforce ecosystem. It just happened that Taskray was the product that just knocked it out of the park. And so that's... That's awesome. And clearly you, you guys were early and uh, really prescient with seeing the, the development of the ecosystem. But I have to go back to something you said. I don't know if I've ever heard anyone say, I love Salesforce. Yeah. Um, especially, especially back then, what the product looked like. <laughs> oh, but back then it was extremely powerful. And here's here's why I loved it. So when I was at this dot com, I like I said, I was, I was a mutt. So basically, what I did was, if there was a problem in the company, they would just kind of parachute me in to fix the problem. 
And one of the problems of the day is they were putting in, and it was like an Oracle front end, SAP back end. It was a multi-million dollar project. It had been going on for years. We had like 20 consultants living here at, you know, at our office and it wasn't going anywhere. They had zero adoption specifically by the sales team where they needed them to get their pipeline in. And so we had this rogue VP of inside sales who had just come from San Francisco and he had heard about Salesforce and he starts implementing it. And it's my job to fix and save the Oracle implementation. And here this guy is off rogue implementing Salesforce. And I was furious and I tried to stop him. But when it inadvertently ended up happening, I ended up supporting him. And the reason why I fell in love with Salesforce, to get back to your question, is it gave all the power to you, the admin, the company, to define your process, customize it the way you wanted it to, versus to a team of you know 20 consultants doing all this magic, and then there's a thousand bugs a day. So it really enabled users to have all this power. And that was a game changer back then. And we ended up shutting down that whatever, $5 million project and went all in in Salesforce, and we were the largest enterprise customer at the time. So I loved that. I also think they did a brilliant job with branded marketing, which I also love. And then they built a whole ecosystem and culture of people that became loyal fans. So they did a lot of good. Now, here's the problem. They're a beast now. <laughs> so are they Oracle now? Are they SAP? Sure. It got really complicated really quickly, and it's up to them to figure that out now. So, so I see both sides. That was a long-winded answer. <laughs> Absolutely. So I think you know, in your journey starting in 2010, to a successful, at least partial exit last last year or 2021, I believe. Uh, 2021. Mm-hmm. 2021. Yeah. You guys, I think mostly bootstrapped the business, right? I'd love to hear about that journey, that decision, you know, in terms of whether to go the VC route, bootstrap, friends and family, and how you thought about that whole, that whole thing. We were 100% bootstrapped just by Eric and I. And we had just both came back from VC-backed experiences. So this is like a hard story to talk to a VC about, Adam. I'm sorry. Um, but no, no, we know we know, we know all the contours, right? It's not the right, it's not the right funding choice for most companies. Yeah, yeah. I actually believe in that. So I just came off, you know, failed.com and Eric was out there raising money in 2008, right? 2008. And what horrible time to raise money. And so we just had a little bit of a chip on our shoulder and we thought that there was an opportunity to do things a little differently and be in control of our decisions. And you'll hear that in all my anecdotes of today, like every decision we made, I think we we're able to make because we were a bootstrap company. Now, it wasn't to say it was difficult. It was very difficult. And I remember starting to kind of explode in 2019 and I was desperate for money. I wanted it so badly. But when we got close to it, I realized it went against that kind of value set of just really living profitably. We were profitable since pretty much day one and really taking care of our people. And it just worked out better for us to stay bootstrapped and stay in control. But I'm kind of excited to see where it goes with money. So it's it's a different story now, different company. You get to see it both ways. I know. We'll see. (laughs) Exactly. Cool. No, that, that's fantastic. And again, you know, it's something we always talk about when we meet with founders, Blakely, is really like, are you eyes wide open knowing what you want as a founder, what you want your company to look like? VC is a great option if you want a certain path, and it's a terrible option if that's not what you want, right? And so I think the fact you guys were thoughtful about it, picked the right path for you is great. Yeah, that's right. It is very 
founder specific. Absolutely. Would love to hear what it was like building a company in Colorado. And and you've, you know, really caught the whole wave of the ecosystem, as did I, right? Starting it in 2010 and what we are today. It's been interesting because at the time, Boulder was this little, like, itty-bitty tech incubator, right? Because yeah. Brad Feld had come in. And so it was getting some buzz. The dot-com that I worked for was, like, a super sexy dot-com at the time, building really not sexy, boring enterprise stuff. But when Eric and I came back around in 2010, what we found, because a lot of the texting at that time was moving into Denver too. And, you know, Boulder was the incubator, but Denver kind of became, or is becoming still this hub. But we find that people are here for the lifestyle, right? And so it actually really supported the talent base to have like like-minded value set people that also were very excited to contribute at work. They loved that there's a tech scene, but they also knew that work wasn't life and, you know, wanted to make sure they were out there, you know, out in the mountains. And it's just a different vibe and it it gives you a different pace and a different energy. And I think it keeps everyone a little bit saner. And so that I think is the key to some of Colorado's magic. We agree. We agree. Any any companies outside of your your former uh, one task grade that you are really excited about here? The one that initially comes up to mind is Agentsync, because I think the world of Jen Knight, she is just one of the most phenomenal humans. And they took VC right away. Like they knew that was their path. And I applaud her for that. So, but I know she's been a guest of yours. So I should come up with something different. I would say the other thing I love about Colorado, other than the fact that there's a lot of Silicon Valley coming into it, so the tech is just getting more and more exciting. It's also just a mecca for natural foods and beer and distilleries, which I think are like kind of the polar opposite of each other. But my partner would be so angry if I didn't mention Talnua, the new distillery, T-A-L-N-U-A. And I love that there is a market for that here. And they are doing something really clever. They're bringing like old school distillery styles, single pot distilling of whiskey that is very much in like the Scottish tradition. And they're kind of redoing it in their own way here. And they're fun. So agency, tell Nua. Opposite ends of the spectrum. Wait, no, there's there's a lot of natural food stuff here, and it's an area we don't know a whole lot about. But we have we actually there's there's a great guy that that is friends of the fund in Boulder Natural Foods Group, I think we will have on at some point. We've got to uncover that whole that whole world. There's so much great stuff going on. It's amazing. It's amazing. Awesome. Well, Blakely, love to segue into the main reason why we're here. You have undoubtedly learned a ton of lessons the hard way <laughs> in building your company from scratch to, to what it is today. I would love to hear what's your biggest? Hands down, the biggest. I used to have this thing that I would say it was, your brand is your people. And not everyone got what I meant by that, but simply put, your team is everything. So it's time to double down on your investment. And if you can find a way to double down on your like literally dollar investment and your time investment in your team, magic starts to happen, right? So you start to see your team grow. You see that surface in your product. Then you see it surface in your customers. And then ultimately, you know, goes all the way up to the market and thus into your brand. And so for me, companies more about investing in people than sometimes even the product. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I actually was just reminded of this saw an article the other day referencing there's a famous Harvard Business Review piece that talked about, I think it was Costco versus mm-hmm. Walmart mm-hmm. And, and retail. And 
how actually the most costly thing to your business was saving money on your employees, which I think is what you're saying. 100%, 100%. And you realize, you know, my first job was Starbucks under Howard Schultz, and this was his whole mission in those early years. They were the pioneers of education Education as a benefit. They were. They were, which we had. Lydia, I mean, any specific examples come to mind where, where you learned that lesson? Maybe you you know, we're, we're going one direction and realized, Hey, investing here is something that really pays off in the long run. Oh, I have so many. I'm trying to think which one to share first. You know, let me just start with our like founding, our founding story. And then I, maybe I can segue into a real like tactical example. But when we started, we started the company the day that Eric's daughter was born, he was literally signing the incorporation partners in the delivery realm, which I, I kind of feel some shame about now making him work. But I also had a toddler and a baby at home, and I was pregnant at two different companies, and neither company had maternity benefits. And in fact, the second company I worked in, they were just implementing short-term disability, and I was exempt from maternity benefits, and they told me I had a pre-existing condition, so I wasn't eligible. And I thought that that was a really interesting moment where the company had the ability to do the right thing for me, and they chose not to. And so that's sort of what began our thinking, our implicit thinking, like we just need to treat employees better. I don't know that I really got the lesson until later in the company. And I'm happy to share one of those stories. But definitely that was the foundation of Taskray. And just knowing that, hey, we deserve to pay simple things like 100% 100% salary just to take a few months off, right? To, to take care of these children. But that's just one example. I mean, we have so many tactics we used. We had anniversary bonuses. So $1,000 the first year, $6,000 for your sixth year, you know, just to kind of reward people. We know work is that life. So we, we wanted to thank them for all the time that they had in our office. We put an advisor program where we paid, uh, or we exchanged options to like top advisors for all of our leadership teams so they could, you know, grow where, you know, for me, I'm a generalist. I know this much about everything. We needed them to know more. But I think when we really started seeing it happen was when we put in a coaching program, which I know I did listen to your most recent episode with Goddard and who I love, you know, he's in the ecosystem. He's pretty phenomenal human. But we did something similar and, and a little bit different. So somewhere, and this is when I, I think I really got investing in your people. We, I had a really difficult issue, hired a coach. It was so much money for a bootstrap company and hired her. And really how she helped me was with the ability to communicate to the person that I was having an issue with, right? So when I figured that out and how powerful that was, I'm like, everyone has to have this. Well, that is a very expensive proposition. So I had to rework the budget, but eventually we did roll it out to our entire leadership team. All of a sudden, our operational meetings started changing and people started collaborating and working together more. So then we rolled it out to our emerging leaders. Again, a lot of money. But the increase in productivity was so incredible. And I I read this stat where it's something equivalent to a loss of about $25,000 per employee per year in lost productivity due to communication challenges. And so the coaching we had instituted 
was really solving some of that. So then we decided we needed it for the whole company. Well, that is just way too much money, but we took the most important thing out of it. And that was communications training and not just training, but we have, we instituted a whole framework and how people were to talk to each other. And I'm telling you, Adam, it got so many eye rolls. Like no one wants to like be vulnerable and realize that the way they communicate is just like, is horrible. And you've got sales angry at delivery, delivery angry at sales, product angry at marketing. But I knew it was the right thing to do when we were sitting in a meeting and our product leaders and our marketing leaders who were just fighting to the nail about roadmap, all of a sudden started talking in this like really robotic framework. And I'm like, oh, they're using the communications training. And it just took all the emotion out of what was happening. And all of a sudden, we had the most beautiful, innovative product roadmap I've ever seen. So that is just an example of just an absolute turning point where sometimes putting your money there is actually going to, you know, result in profits, you know, down the road. Absolutely. How did you always weigh the bet? Something I've, I've always seen leaders find tricky is weighing the trade-off between just employees saying, hey, I just give me more money, right? Employees almost every time say, I just want the money. But in reality, what they what they value and what creates some of that kind of cohesiveness as a company and ultimately productivity might not just be giving more money. It might be something like coaching, some other benefit. How have you weighed that trade-off over the years? I think they're both important. So I, I mean, if I, as I was listening out some of those tactics, a lot of them are money. I mean, you know, the anniversary bonus, our salaries were fair wages. I was never the highest paid employee in the room. So we kept things very fair, but we didn't go crazy. It wasn't outsized because we had to allocate money to some of these other programs. I don't know. I got a lot of flack for that communications training, but I will say that it was the right thing to do. You know, another example is just writing down our values. That doesn't cost any money. I rolled that. My partner, I rolled that. Who wants to write down their values and put them on the wall? It seems so trite. Well, you know what? That became an anchor for every person in the company to hire, to fire, to do performance reviews, to make decisions about product. And so I don't know that I always got a lot of thank yous, but it was just something that drove Eric and I. We knew it was important. And I tell you during COVID, it, it showed up the most. Like we did have to lay off just a few people during COVID. And I felt okay about it. And because I knew how much we've invested in every single person and they were going to be great. They were going to be successful. And they were. They were hired almost instantly. And I like to think that some of that had to do with just knowing when to give money, throw money, and when to throw other investments like you know training and the values and kind of all of that work. And, and honestly, Adam, it's our job as leaders to not solve problems and not throw money at it, to sometimes just hear what someone needs and remove their obstacles and get out of the way. And so that's part of it is just knowing when to give them what they need just so they can make their own choices and their own decisions. And, and it, it ends up working, right? In fact, this timing of the podcast is amazing because you know I've been out of Taskray for almost two years now. And I just got a note from a former employee. It was yesterday, the day before. And actually, I wrote it down. He was moving on and he sent me a note that just said, thank you so much for the opportunity and for building a company and culture that made coming to work every day a joy. I think that speaks volumes for 
money isn't all that it is, right? If you can make work a joy for someone every day for the six years that he was there, it, it's worth it. I think that that's awesome. And, and that anecdote combined with what you said about COVID, I think hits another point, which I, I've always thought is very important is founders often overlook how important it is to not only be a great place to work, but to be a great place to be from. Knowing that so many of your employees, I mean, we're all focused as leaders, right? Oh, we got to retain my employees, retain my best people. And yeah, that is important. But no matter what you do, some of your, even your best people are going to leave, right? Over a period of time, if you build a company over long term. And you want to make sure that those people had a great experience, you know, can take that on to the next leg of their successful journey, can be evangelists for your company, for the next group of people that are going to be coming in. And sounds like you you made an effort to do that as well. Well, Adam, I, this is going to be a, just a shameless brag, but I, during our, our tenure, we had people leave that we've had to let go, right? Some performance issues, but we only had two people resign. And those two people resigned because we were their first company. They needed to get out. They needed to move on and learn kind of new things. And so it was a celebration. I missed them. It was a celebration. But I tell you what, they both boomeranged. They both came back. And wow. it was also a celebration receiving them back because they had gone out and learned. And they also learned that, you know, culture was very important to them as well. And so it, it's okay to let them be free and it's okay to welcome them back. And it's all just part of the journey, right? Well, I think you just made made the point, which is the way you treated them on the way out and celebrating that is is what made them feel good versus mm-hmm. – and ultimately, I mean, you expect them to come back but came back. I, I've definitely seen some companies where they don't celebrate on the way out, and I promise you those two people never would have come back. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. 100%. That's right. Yeah. Were there any – I mean, any advice that you give, tactical advice that you give to founders or, or early uh, – folks earlier in their, in their journey maybe don't have – the benefit of profit, like you have to go hire coaches and whatnot. And how do you create that culture from the get-go when you're really, you know, just trying to find product market fit and not a shoestring? Yeah, I know. It's, it's actually really tough. Definitely write your values down sooner than later. And I think it took us six years to actually write ours down and that it changed our whole company. That's free, but make sure you write them from your perspective and your shared values of the company, not what your customers want to hear, not what you think your brand needs to have. They have to be raw and from you or they will never, ever stick. The advisor program that we put in is free, sort of. I stole this one from a great company called Logical and they they were able to attract like just the best of class advisors in exchange for options. So we basically provided advisors like a thousand dollars an hour a month worth of options to sit with our leaders, our emerging leaders, and have them help them become best in their, you know, their particular discipline. We didn't have to pay anything for that until it was time to cash out and <laughs> we had to pay something really meaningful to those advisors. So there's kind of creative ways you can bring in help and training and support systems that aren't necessarily, you know, dollar, dollar system. And, and I'll tell you what, like things like the anniversary bonus, that was pretty easy because we baked it in from the very first day. So $10,000 sounds really like a lot of money in 10 years, but we started with, you know, $1,000 and it was in the budget from the get-go. So just being mindful of your budget initially that doubling down your investment in people is going to pay off. You know, you, you can 
institute the coaching program down the road for sure. Those are fantastic, very, very tactical things that definitely everybody can do. I love the option program. I hadn't, hadn't heard of that one before, but I think it's a really good one. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Like you have your board of advisors, right? As a CEO, but your team deserves their own, right? They do. Absolutely. Blakely, thank you. Fantastic lesson. Really appreciate your time. Where can folks you know, follow along with what you're up to or, or get in touch with you? Well, I am just about to launch a Substack. What do you call it? A channel? Uh, I'm not sure what, what that's called. I'm not sure what Substack Yeah, is. but I'm at Blakely Graham on Substack and you'll start seeing some interesting writings coming out of me in the upcoming weeks and months that are going to kind of follow my journey as I transition to career number, well, 100, but let's call it uh, my midlife career. <laughs> Thanks so much, Blakely. Look forward to reading it. All right. Thank you, Adam. Take care.